You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. T-shirts, get your T-shirts right here. About to be fresh off the press, your oneofus.net T-shirts, you can only get them right here. And please do, because for a limited time, oneofus.net, our new black and white T-shirts are on sale for really cheap if you pre-order them on the site. Please go ahead and pick yourself up a oneofus.net T-shirt, help out the site, help out yourself, and look great doing it. Hey, we're here for digital noise and uh, uh Joe? That's right, you cracker. What, what is that in your beard? It doesn't matter what's in my beard. It's the white man keeping me down because I'm strong. It looks like the white hair sticking out from your black beard. Oh, I see. So I'm like, white hair, black hair. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I'm tired of you playing these power games with me. Is that what I was doing? You tell me what the truth is. I don't know what the truth is. The truth is that I am an ebony warrior. Or at least my hair is. Yeah, what? Mm, I don't think we've ever oppressed specifically people with black hair. I haven't seen you lift them up. <laughs> I didn't realize they needed a special hand up. Well, it's not a hand up. It's a handout. <laughs> <laughs> Is there some sort of national association of people with black hair? There should be. Well, or anti-defamation league? Or or just uh, appropriation league. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you feel bad about your white hair, Joe. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of touchy about it. Uh, what can I do to make it up to you? Uh, I don't know. Like a shot of whiskey and a bullet to the head? Mm, will beer do? Okay. Just the bullet to the head. back again this week with me and joe we've got a ton of titles to really talk about release we're not releasing no we're no we're releasing them now hey it's it's brought to you by one of us dot distribution <laughs> god if only <laughs> <laughs> although you know what i say that but i bet you like I, i've been dealing with distribution companies for so long i get the feeling that um they it's not the most fun job in the entire no world. no especially when they send you those like okay well here here's uh here's the promo for you to, to review hey can you sell some for us <laughs> yeah <laughs> Pretty much, but hey, we'll do it. We don't care. We're whores. That's right. Money's great. We're here to sell you on some stuff, but only the stuff that's worth you buying. Mm -hmm. That's That's right. That's what we do with Digital Noise. Uh, And if you want to help us continue to do this, there's multiple different ways you can do it. One of which is, of course, become a subscriber. Oh, what is a subscriber? Well, there's four different uh, pay tiers for being a subscriber. Mm -hmm. By doing it, you get all kinds of benefits. Some physical benefits. uh, Like friends with benefits? Not friends with benefits. Or at least nothing I can I'm going to guarantee in writing. Unsubscribe. (laughs) Uh, There's lots of bonus shows, regular commentaries, just a ton of stuff. And the most important part is... By doing it, by becoming a subscriber, you're just literally, literally helping us keep the lights on here. Because if the site doesn't make at least a certain much, I can't keep the electricity going. And it's already flickering, y'all. Come on now. It is indeed. We can only process ones. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to point out to you that we have several banners at the bottom of our page here. One of which I haven't really mentioned so much in the past is Sideshow Collectibles. Oh, Sideshow Collectibles. Sideshow Collectibles is one of the highest level of geek toys okay. available provider if you go on there i mean this is the stuff like when i go to comic-con mm-hmm. it's like a museum their exhibit you know okay. it's like All everything right. is on pedestals and glass cases yeah i'm with you on this humble brag yeah they are pretty freaking amazing it's as good as uh 
geek toys can get. And if you decide that it's time, you've been saving up, you're going to get that, like, really, really nice, like, bust or weapon replica or what have you from your favorite all-time movie, cartoon, anime, Mm -hmm. comic Mm -hmm. book, what have you, then please click on our link, buy it through there. We get a healthy little kickback from whatever you buy, especially if you're, you know, spending, dropping down like 600 bucks or something. Yeah, the simoleons. (laughs) And we really appreciate it. Of course, there's no no end of other ways you can support us. We're not going to go through them all right now, but check out the banners that we have listed regularly on the page. Uh, Definitely click on our Amazon links. You'll see all of our uh, things we're talking about this week are time-coded and have the images of the the items, in fact, that we are either promoting or insulting. (laughs) You can click on those items and buy them through Amazon. Actually, we make a, a really nice amount of money off you doing that but in fact use those links to buy anything that you're going to buy from amazon if you start from our links even if you buy a lawnmower i think they have lawnmowers on do amazon. they have diaphragms they probably have diaphragms. get an amazon diaphragm yeah they're all kinds of we need to start uh branding those by the way no, one of us dot Diaph- net diaphragms mm-hmm. one of us dot diaphragm mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i think that's an excellent idea there's an untapped market as it were is gonna get tapped once they put it in <laughs> anyway enough of uh, the house cleaning it's time to get to the review reviews review for you review for you review for you yeah boy Oh, that's hateful. Oh, I'm sorry. But just one. One hateful. Well, it's it's not as hateful as the hateful eight. Yeah, but then you're aiding up on that. <laughs> this is the first Blu-ray release we're talking about this week, and definitely one of, for my money, one of the best. I have still not talked about, about it with Joe since he's seen it. Yeah, I finally saw it. That is to say I've seen it. So I have no idea what he thinks about it, so I'm going into this very tentatively. I'm eggshelling my way into this review, because I thought... Personally, this is Quentin's best since, like, Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, let's do the plot first for those <laughs> people who've been living, who just escaped from wherever Lara Croft just got out of, you know, some mountain region of Tibet. Probably scraped their knee monitor. or something. Yeah, something. Um who missed the whole thing. Uh, basically, years after the Civil War, uh, this bounty hunter is uh, transporting uh, three dead bodies uh, to, you know, to get bounties, uh, gets a ride on a stagecoach, and um, there we introduce the three main characters, uh, Kurt Russell being uh, the guy already on the stagecoach, Samuel Jackson playing the bounty hunter in question, and then... uh, 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 and then they pick up another guy on the way who claims he's a he's a sheriff played by Walton Goggins, but is uh, known for previously being a rebel ra- rebel rouser, literally, literally. Uh, during the Civil War. Well, anyway, the storm gets really bad. They seek refuge at a uh, mini's haberdashery, a lot lodge up in the mountains, and find that there's a bunch of other dudes up in there as well. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot. Jennifer Jason Lee is on the stagecoach, too, because she is Kurt Russell's prisoner, Daisy uh, Domergu. Domergu. He keeps saying her name wrong, though. Yeah, I can't that's remember fine. He doesn't like French. Uh, but they get to the place, and there's uh, Damien Bashir is the Mexican. Tim Roth is basically the British guy, but the little man. Michael Ma- Madsen is like the cowboy they call the cow puncher, sitting in the back being quiet. Bruce Danford is uh, the the Confederate. He's like an old general. Bruce Dern? And, yeah, Bruce Dern, yeah. You said Danford. 
Did I? Why yeah. did I say Dan? I don't know. Where the fuck did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> I want to meet that guy, though. Uh, and it turns into a very bottle film of tensions rising and and characters gradually dying. And it's kind of a place your bet. See who survives. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like for me personally, I actually found this to be one of his better written films in terms of dialogue. I really enjoyed a lot of the runs in this. I know some of it got under some people's hackles. Like there's a whole bit where Samuel Jackson is intentionally trying to rouse the general to violence mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. draw first by expressing that he made his son suck his dick yep. before he murdered him. Yes. I personally actually thought that scene really worked well, but that pissed off a lot of people. Well, that, I mean, cause that was kind of the whole point was that it was supposed to be grotesquely obscene and whether it was true or a lie, it didn't really matter. Yeah. The, the, the point is, is that like he was, it was clear watching it. What his goal was, was yeah. to get, do anything he could to make this guy rise to violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I really liked all the performances. I really liked Jennifer Jason Lee quite a bit as the, the lead villain. I thought accusations of it being cruelty to woman were like, so wait, they cast a female role, uh, a female in a role that probably wasn't originally written for a female, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like, like it's really not pertinent in this movie. When no, no, her gender, yeah, doesn't all. come into it. Doesn't come into it whatsoever. Uh, and to be honest, as a villain, she is about as villainous as you get. So. I don't really see the problem. I think it's more sexist to suggest that that is. Yeah, that an a woman issue. couldn't be a supervillain. Yeah, yeah, could doesn't. Yeah, oh well, you can't beat up a woman on film. Really? I because she's a woman, we're not allowed to do that. Isn't that more sexist to suggest? Yeah, punches for everybody. Punches. So for that's everyone. what I'm saying. Who deserve yeah. it? Yeah, even yeah. kitties. I'm punching a kitty right now. <laughs> You've also got appearances throughout this: Jamie Parks, Channing Tatum, Zoe Bell. Uh, of course, Quentin Tarantino is the narrator, and what I thought was actually <laughs> the most unnecessary part of the whole film. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was so weird. Like when, uh, not really a spoiler alert, but at one point uh, he he chooses Apple Blossom uh, as a part of the soundtrack. And don't get me wrong, I love that song. I play it on the guitar myself. But it had no real place there. Well, that's the thing. He loves those anachronistic moments to choose stuff like that. And I don't think that that sequence particularly worked. It's the thing right at the halfway point, which I've never seen this, the shorter version. I only saw the extended 70-millimeter mm. cut. No, oh, bragging. No, it's just the only one they offered for me to see. Right, right. Um, uh, and at the point where, you know, after the intermission, they come back and it's like he's narrating and there's a whole sequence of pre like, you know, this is what happened before that honestly doesn't have any real reason to be there. Nope. No. Nope. Like it's just there because, oh, I want to put some more people in this film. It really doesn't add anything to the movie. It doesn't. Like, like I felt so sorry for Zoe Bell because I like her and I was just like, uh, you're in this because, uh, you know, he likes shooting stuff. <laughs> and he wanted more time to shoot stuff. I feel like what ended up coming out of this sequence, how it affects the stuff later, you could have done without knowing all this stuff that came before. Yeah. And it I, would have been that much more startling mm-hmm. to do it that Yeah, way. actually it would have. Uh, so I, I, I thought that was – that was honestly the only thing that I had a problem with with this film. But it sounds like you had more problems than that. Uh, not really problems. Um it's just more that it was fuck. It was cotton candy. It was all empty calories, like the the entire thing. And I'm not saying that that Tarantino movies are generally these, these grand statements of the truth. They're like uh, a violent schoolhouse rock. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, this one just uh, didn't grab me. Like, nothing really landed. Nothing okay. was super impactful. All of the overtop gore has been done better by him mm-hmm. in the past. So I was just like, oh, okay. You actually see less because most of it's matted by fur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody's pretty hairy. Uh, covered with fur. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I felt like there was... There was... Okay, well, Tater... Um, Literally could have been played by almost anybody else, and uh, I would have liked it better. And not just because it was Tater, I just felt like he he wasn't really strong enough to to hang with everybody else. Yeah, I I don't even know if I'd even say that so much as just, once again, why was he even there? Oh, yeah, well, there's that, too. You know, I was kind of like, hey, it's Channing Tatum, which calls almost more attention to how kind of out of place that whole sequence is in the film. Especially with his his giant plasticky face. Uh (laughs) I, I did particularly like the relationship between Walton Goggins and Samuel Jackson in here, which is an interesting one. Yeah. Because Goggins is like a guy who's basically trying to go like legit, like even though he used to be one of those post-Civil War guys who was still like, no, the South is going to rise and doing illegal shit. Now he actually is as near as we can tell. Like beca- trying to be straight, trying narrow. to be straight, become a sheriff, uh, but he still don't like black people that much. No, nope. the movie mm-hmm. kind of forces them into this uneasy truce along the way. That's a, one of the most interesting aspects of the film. I kind of wondered, like b- before table reads, Samuel L. Jackson, just like him and and all the other uh, actors, just were in a room, and he's like, okay. Let's go ahead and say that N word a whole bunch. <laughs> like, let's just let's just like make it like it's nothing. You know, it's funny. Like, I I had the biggest problem with that with Django Unchained mm-hmm. because it felt like there was such joy he was taking and getting all these characters to use it, and there was a there was just a point where it was like people are saying it with absolutely no reason to say it whatsoever. Yeah. It doesn't even serve a purpose. And here, every time someone this says more it, mediated. it's 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 said with specific spite yeah. and an ugliness in order to because there is this ugly racial layer underneath all of this with these two Confederate guys in here and then a black guy in here that well, is definitely a big part of the plot and the tension. Yeah, and it's, even the guy who likes him the best is you know, still flinging it around when, yeah. when he's necessary. It, it, it makes at least makes more sense here to me. It made more sense here to me and, and wasn't as constant as Django Unchained, yeah. I thought. Um, but even so, I still say, uh, Quentin, seriously... I get that at this point you're just using it because you're pissed off that people said you should stop using it, but stop being a fucking 10-year-old boy. Yeah, and we know that your mom got got uh, drilled by Wilt the, the Stilt. So. Hey, you know what? I saw Lonesome Dove, and nobody said it in it once, and that was like eight hours. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, I don't think for realism we absolutely have to have the N-word thrown around yeah, constantly. Yeah, and we didn't have to have smallpox. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were no Native Americans here. No, there weren't. No. Mm-mm. That was weird, too. I thought that was... <laughs> yeah, they were, I guess they'd been uh, resettled. Yeah, probably so. Anyway, um, there's only two extras on this thing, which I found to be kind of surprising. Me, too. Um, because usually Tarantino films have a lot more stuff than this on here. There's, like, And they're both really short. There is a very straightforward EPK with interviews and snippets from the film called Beyond the Eight, and then there is a about seven and a half minute look with uh, Samuel Jackson talking about the 70 millimeter version of the film, which once again, that's that's uh, this whole thing smacks of, oh, no, we have tons of stuff. We're just going to re-release this for the hardcore Tarantino fans yeah. like a year and a half from now for double the price with all the extras, <laughs> you know, which I hate to be that cynical. But come on, that's not even cynical anymore. That's just realistic. Yeah. And it'll probably be like some sort of hat shaped box. <laughs> 
<laughs> or eight-shaped box. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the stuff that Tarantino gets his influ- influences from, our next movie is a Arrow Films re-release. Let me of- say it. Let me say it. Black Mama, White Mama. <laughs> that was good. That was better than I would have said it. Oh, it's all. Oh. This is a very early Pam Greer film. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can tell. You can tell because she gets naked a lot. <laughs> she gets naked a lot, and and the, the the finesse of delivery is just not there yet. Yeah, she's she's not at her best quite yet. She's still like clearly a little uncomfortable, which I would be too if I was made naked as much as I was mm-hmm. as she is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a... It's marketed as a woman in prison film, although it really isn't. It's more like the Defiant ones. Yeah. That it's like two... Uh, a black black prisoner and a white prisoner are chained together. It's and, about and a black are, mama and a white mama. Indeed. Uh, even though there's no proof either one of them is actually a mother. Well, yeah, not yet. Bad motherfucker. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, they're in prison in the Philippines, which is probably not a great place in the 70s to be in prison or at any time and very shortly after a few kind of like the going through the motions of expected stuff you do at woman in prisons films uh, and lots and lots and lots of nudity and lesbian implications uh they escape with the help of the 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 white woman uh who is played by margaret markov with the help of a terrorist group that she belonged to which are you know they she specifies they're not terrorists; they're freedom fighters. That's right. Yes, and um, but they're not able to go the way the freedom fighters are, so they have to go across the country. Uh, Pram Greer has money hidden away, waiting for her that she ripped off from a crime lord. Mm-hmm. So she wants to get to that money and get the fuck out of there. Shit, yeah, she do. Uh, and uh, Karen Margaret Markov wants to hook back up with the terrorist group and help to uh, overthrow to the liberate bad guys. to liberate. Yes, and so they can't. They don't like each other much, and of course, there's a couple prerequisite pulling hair fighting scenes mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. between the two prisoners but overall it's like them running from situation to situation or one or the other of their people who don't like them are trying to kill them yep um and you know this isn't i mean it is technically a black exploitation film i guess but kinda, uh, but kinda, not with yeah. all the hallmarks of that it, right it definitely has more the hallmarks of a woman in prison film than it does of a black exploitation yes. film but uh you know and and that being said, it's not one of the best woman in prison <laughs> films either. But I thought it was inherently watchable. Oh no, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it, no, it's it. it uh, if you're into the the whole grindy house kind of thing, like this serves it all up so deliciously. Like you're gonna get all the fan service. You're gonna get the like too cool for school kind of presentation. You're gonna get the like absolutely evil people. Like oh, I want them to die, and then they get. Oh, and let's not die. forget Sid Haig yeah. is in this playing. You know, which I didn't even recognize him. No, nope. why know would you? Till Wikipedia <laughs> that I was like, whoa, shit, that was Sid Haig. Yeah, uh, playing like crime lord type dude, like psycho killer crime mm-hmm. lord who, and he's great. He's so slimy, and you're like, this is why he was in all those exploitation films. This is why that scene in Jackie Brown paid off. Yeah. Yeah, like when he was the judge. Yeah, and yeah, they, I forgot they, about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I gotta go. I mean, I haven't rewatched Jackie Brown. You like got ten to. years. Man. Yeah, got to. It's I, so good. Oh uh, yeah, it is a really good movie. Um, now this is from Arrow Films, who have been sort of turning into the the latest big player in the world of re-releases of very minor, uh, like shock and exploitation type films. And they and doing them a, so well. Yeah, like they make them look gorgeous. Come with a ton of extra features. You know, this is like. As good a release as Black Mama, White Mama is ever going to see. Mm, that's right. <laughs> Almost guaranteed. <laughs> so, like, if uh, this sounds like your thing at all, uh, and even if it's not, if you've never seen one of these type films, honestly, this is an entertaining 90 or so minutes. Yeah. Right yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, okay. Moving on to another Arrow film. 
I wasn't as crazy about Rage of Honor. Uh, here's my thing. Okay. I, I know a lot of people are always like, oh man, Shokushugi, he's like the greatest. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue against the talent of Shokushugi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not. He is, he was a very talented martial artist. Yes. Uh, could be very charismatic at times. Um, I tended to like him better when he was a, playing less of an Americanized version of himself <laughs> like he is here. But for me, growing up watching martial arts films, I was actually watching, you know, Sunday afternoon Hong Kong theater, like actual Hong Kong movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people I knew grew up watching Shokushugi in American films, you know, that were like B, B and C level American mm-hmm. films. And that was, those were their martial arts films. I was like, you know, those movies are not as good as the Hong Kong <laughs> ones. They're just not. Uh, and Rage of Honor is a great example of that, that mysteriously tried to set him up as an American cop. A federal agent uh, whose partner is killed during a drug bust, and he, he does the whole generic, you know, it's the guy's like, oh, the, you're doing a terrible job. And he's like, fine, take my badge. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go on vacation. Yeah, the mayor's on your ass. Yeah, and uh, he, so he puts together all his collection of nunchucks and uh, exploding shrunken, which is something I've only seen in Shokushugi films. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the kunai that just blowed up. Oh, yeah. that's standard ninjas. Yeah. Uh, and sets out the Buenos Aires to kill all the bad guys. And... Um, there are definitely some decent fights and action in this one. Okay. I just thought overall, I mean, God, he's wearing like a fucking Don Johnson outfit the entire time. Yeah, movie. that would be awesome. <laughs> no, he is wearing one the whole yeah, time. Yeah, that's my heartbeat. Yeah, uh, this is, came out in 1987, so. There, what you going to do? do? Exactly. And it has all the hallmarks of something trying to go, yeah, it's like Miami Vice, only with like more violence and fucking martial arts. And they're both tubs. Uh,. I don't know. This is this is even for Shokushugi, This is certainly not one of the ones that I would say. Oh yeah, you got to see this one. More like the bad news bears go to Japan. I think is the defining Shokushugi. Or yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. No, uh, Ninja Three: The Domination. Okay, yeah. Actually, I love the shit out of Ninja Three: The Domination, but not because it's a good movie. <laughs> I've, I've not watched it. So. Oh, oh, dude, I have to sit down, make you sit down and watch it. With okay, me. it is like one of the greatest. Of the bad 80s, like, American, like, ninja-type action films. Yeah, but could he, like, take on Master Ninja Lee Van Cleef? It's, it's he becomes a demon and possesses a, a woman with okay. his spirit. And All there's right. a whole bunch of, like, stuff that's, like, ripping off The Exorcist in it. Okay. And there's, like, a bunch of video game stuff. And it's just awful in, a, in the most wonderful way. But, no, uh, Revenge of the Ninja is actually, and End of the Ninja are both really good. Oh, but he was in Blind Fury. With Rutger Hauer. Yeah, I just sat through that recently. <laughs> I, I always heard people talking about how much they like it, and I was like, yeah, no, it's awful. Thoroughly, it's really a little bad. under mediocre in terms of quality. Anyway, Rage of Honor is the title from Arrow Films. If you're a Shokushugi collector, Kasugi, Kasugi or Kasugi? Kasugi. Kasugi. Uh, then you, you know, it's not like the worst thing ever or anything. There's some good moments in this, but I, I hardly think it's worth going out of your way for. It's Arrow Films, though, which means it comes with all the extras, even a whole a pretty long piece with Shokasugi talking about his entire career, like going through yeah, it movie is. by movie, which is a, maybe worth getting just for that alone. I bet you knew my grandpa Sonny. What now? My grandpa Sonny. Sonny Chiba's my grandfather. Uh, oh, oh, that's adopted. right. My I, adopted grandfather. I, I forgot that. Yep. Yeah. Sonny, Sonny Chiba is, I would say, like... Of the guys who were doing, like that, they the Asian guys who came over to do American films. I would put Sonny Chiba higher than. Oh, oh yeah, 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 he's Hattori Hanzo. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, moving on to something that 
is not an exploitation film, but certainly was influenced by the movies coming out of the same period, is Archer Season 6. Man, this show, every time I count it down, because I thought Archer Season 5, Archer Vice, yeah, yeah. was a misstep for the series. Okay. While it still got some very funny episodes, it, like... It definitely went to some places that was like like trying so desperately to change the scenario mm-hmm. that it actually kind of made. I, I, I think we all liked it better when you were doing spy missions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And smartly, they went back to the old format with Archer <laughs> season six, going back to the old ISIS situation, which they carefully roll away the ISIS logo, saying, "Oh, we're changing our name now," you know, because mm-hmm. obviously ISIS not so cool to call. Well, that's why know. we should have called it Daesh. The way yeah. it was supposed to be. Uh, and them going and doing what they always used to do. And there's so much great stuff in this particular season. Uh, one In this one, they're kind of, they're they're working as contract laborers for the CIA now. Mm-hmm. And Christian Slater. Slater? Yeah, who is playing himself. He's Christian Slater, who actually is also the whole time secretly been a CIA handler, is their handler. And he's a real dick. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But, well, I mean, cuffs changes a man. It, 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 I would imagine it would have to. Uh, one of my favorite moments here is they got Kumail Nanjani to play a character, a Pakistani agent. There's a whole bit in there where he takes uh, Archer hostage at gunpoint to get him to hack a mainframe. And it's actually very funny. Uh, one, one of the better episodes, in fact. Uh, you've got episode where, once again, we see Lana's parents, because now, as you know, they have a baby. Lana and Archer have a baby. That's right. And so she's like, okay, fine. We're going to go to my parents for dinner. And it's going to be awkward. And we've seen them once before. I think it was season four. But it's Keith David and CCH Pounder playing their parents in a very funny episode. Um, yeah, I, I feel like if you bowed out because season five was not doing it for you as much, you really need to dive right back in with season six because it is actually bringing out home the good jokes oh, and nice. the craziness again. It has archerized it, as Archer says himself at one point during the show. And the Blu-ray set comes with a couple of fun extras, like one where Conan, O'Brien, and Archer uh, battle mobsters together. Okay. Yeah, and like a it's like a four and a half minute piece that's actually pretty fucking funny. Um, there is a <coughs> Cooking with Milton, which is a fake piece of uh, vintage videotape. Milton is a new addition to the cast, which is basically a, a, a robot Xerox machine that instead of making copies, makes toast. Okay. Yeah. Everybody loves toast. And then there's something called Slay J, which is a fantasy sequence. Uh, and there's one sequence where uh, Cheryl has one of those little flip book things where she's fantasizing about what's going to happen in the future with Archer's and Lana's baby, that it's mm-hmm. going to get kidnapped and, and sent overseas and it's going to become a ninja and that's going to come back and kill them all. Oh, cool. So it's like a longer extended version of that story that's actually very worth, worth watching. Very funny. Uh, Archer season six. Good stuff. Uh, as is... Depending on how you feel about such things, Banshee season three. Banshee is one of the. Hmm, how do I say this? All right, so I mean this in a good way. Okay, this is sounding good already. It's like Michael Bay was making exploitation television. Hmm. Like if he was doing stuff based on like the 70s and 80s okay. like films and like wanted to make a regular TV show, but with his sort of level of slickness and everything. Okay. I mean that in a good way. So favelas are exploding. I got you. Like, because this is dumb. Oh, it's really dumb. But my God, does it deliver. Okay. <laughs> Shit. Just nonstop carnage and violence and, and, and sex and everything in a very sort of like the plot just takes these huge ridiculous turns constantly 
And there's, you're either going to go with this and go, this is fucking fun, or you're going to go, no, I can't buy into this at all. It's way too stupid. And hmm. either either viewpoint is understandable to me. Uh, that basic idea being is a guy who has just gotten out of prison, has come to the small town called Banshee because he's looking for his uh, ex-girlfriend and mother of his child who had run away right when he got arrested. Basically, they were he was framed by her father, who was a major mobster. That's oh, all first man. season stuff. Uh, and she escaped as well because she was helping him with these heists. They were both ripping him off. Um, but anyway, so he gets to the small town. He hasn't met anyone except the owner of the small bar. And then this guy who's like, I just got to town. I'm going to be the new sheriff here. I don't know anyone. And some guys come in, try to rob the place. Sheriff gets killed during this the robbery. And uh, our hero goes... Well, nobody really knows who this guy is, so... Dick Whitman maneuver. So, yes. So he comes in and takes over his identity, becomes the sheriff of this town, while the whole time plotting to, like, basically get back with his his uh, ex-girlfriend, who's, get back now with re- who's now remarried to a guy, at this point in the show, is the mayor of the town, okay. uh, and has they have their own kid together. Married up. And gotcha. uh, he's brought in some extra cohorts to help him out, so they can plot... Like, you know, criminal heists as well mm-hmm. while he's dealing as sheriff it's with perfect cover. He's dealing as sheriff with a, 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 a crime lord who is a former Amish guy because it's Amish country. Yeah. Hey. Uh, uh, who has his own issues with there and all sorts of other things that come along. And this season, one of the big things is they try and pull heist on a military base that is Uh-oh. illegally doing something. It was never clear to me what the <laughs> fuck they were doing, but they have a lot of money. I bet there was jaywalking. So they decide they're going to pull this big elaborate heist on them. And uh, even though the heist goes pretty well, the, the military guys aren't as dumb as they assume. And so mm. chaos erupts. Uh, there's, I, I really, really do enjoy the fuck out of this show. Sometimes there is a, a, episode in here that's basically um uh what is that old fucking carpenter movie uh assault on precinct 13 uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah where they're all trapped in the station and there's like a couple of, oh yeah because the other big enemies this time is there's a new this huge fucking guy that's gonna be in a marvel film at some point there's no <laughs> doubt uh, who's like a, a native american who's come back to the tribe to motivate them all to say like no no the white people fucked us over it doesn't matter how how much uh, you know how much time has passed we need to kill them all pretty maybe much. he'll be in justice league <laughs> and there's like all these native americans with like you know huge guns taking on a few people inside the police station just blowing it to pieces it's does, pretty awesome does he ever say enough chuck no i don't oh, think that's so. unfortunate what does that mean uh from super friends uh the indian who would go yeah know, sorry native american who would grow to huge heights mm-hmm. what was that name Big of chief, I think. Big chief. yeah i think they invented him <laughs> for the super friends I think. And funny how they haven't mentioned him any time recently. That's unfortunate. I wouldn't put it past DC to put it in their new live action <laughs> movies, but you know. Anyway, I thought this is a solid season. I actually thought this was going to be the end of the the last season, but apparently there's one more eight episode uh, fourth season coming out. It certainly, as you get towards the end, is like, oh, it's clear we're sort of starting to veer towards the end of the show. Okay, well that's good um, though. Uh, and one of the th- interesting things they introduced this season, which is another one of these only on fucking Banshee, they introduce a new character who's an ex-neo-Nazi who's covered literally from head to toe with swastikas and Nazi uh, symbology, who has quit, like wants nothing to do with it, and in fact he wants to be, like, join the police force. And he, and he can't afford laser surgery. <laughs> well, no, literally. He's like, no, I can't. I've actually gotten some stuff lasered off, but it covers me from head to toe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a big fucking swastika on his cheek. Well, maybe start <laughs> with that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, the presumption is he's already had a few removed from his face. Um, 
And the thing is, right off the bat, the show actually makes you really like him. <laughs> so it's like, he's like, no, I was totally wrong. And they actually get really in-depth with his own emotional struggle, of, like how the, he got to be a Nazi in the first place, and how he realized how wrong he really was, Pyramid and schemes, how he wants to make up for it, but knows he never really can. And then, you know, they have him confronting with all the people in that town that he used to run with who are still neo-Nazis. It's like, this is an actually a really interesting story arc that uh, I'm surprised they're bringing up this late in the show. Oh, maybe they were just inspired. Yeah, perhaps so. But uh, really, what were they inspired by? So uh, turning around a person's life. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Uh, there are eight transmedia vignettes that give backstories, the story before the story, uh, that go on this. So if you forgot what happened or you just want to start with the season for some reason, then you can do that here. Uh, as well as with a commentary on that. And there's lots of little making of things. Each disc has uh, deleted scene stuff, uh, various audio commentaries on each episode, uh, sequences on the stunts and the camera movements, a whole thing about the big heist sequence, which really is badass. Uh, so a lot of good stuff here, um, it, you know, in terms of bonus features. And like I said, solid entertainment for people who like this type of entertainment. Uh, next up, going to a totally different type of film. Mm. We had to take a sharp turn into indie film territory. Yeah, here. we certainly did. I had no idea how to line these things up together to make <laughs> them work. But I guess there's something about the 2004 David Gordon Green undertow film that has its roots. Oh, Squalor. And like, squalor. yeah, and Squalor, to be sure. Um, it was David Gordon Green, who has traditionally done a lot of movies I don't particularly care for. Mm. Um, he's one of those director's darlings, but uh, has also done a couple goofy things like Pineapple Express, which I really liked, and Your Highness, which I really didn't. Uh, <laughs> but who did? I mean, that movie's so bad, even the actors in it have poked fun at it in other yeah. movies they've done since. But David Gordon Green's known more for doing uh, very indie slice of life character based comedies that for me don't really pay off that well like Manglehorn recently um and this is definitely a slice of sort of slice of life but film character based but it's more southern gothic yeah and that for me made it pretty much work more than it didn't I, yeah I actually think this may be my favorite film by him so far the story <laughs> follows uh two kids Jamie Bell very young Jamie Bell and uh Devin Allen they're two brothers who uh, live with their father, Dermot Mulroney, who is still, you know, basically kind of, you know, he's down all the time because his wife just died relatively recently. <laughs> they live in a pig farm in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, and everything is status quo as it were, except for Jamie Bell sort of testing the limits. Yeah, you know, his, his boundaries. Do, his boundaries. When uh, Josh Lucas shows up, who is Dermot Mulroney's estranged brother, Deal. Who uh, they haven't seen for a while because he's been in prison. Yeah. And uh, everything seems okay, if not a little. There's obviously some tension there, but it's not clear until uh, Josh Lucas starts asking him about, uh, you know, whatever happened to those all those Mexican coins that Dad had, those gold coins that he stole. Because mm -hmm. their dad was a thief, too, apparently. They. And he's like, oh, they they, they seized everything when uh, the cops... I bet they did. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> this ends up in a sort of like a cross-country chase with Josh Lucas trying to hunt down the two uh, younger brothers. Mm -hmm. And I thought it actually, overall, this thing really kind of got grabbed me. And it, unlike other David Gordon Green films, has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. <laughs> well, it begins with, uh, like, oh, man, because I, I hadn't heard of it, so I didn't know how old it was. And 
opening shot, I'm like, that poor little boy looks like Kristen Stewart. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, wait, that is Kristen Stewart. Oh, well then. She's like 13 or something. She plays Josh, uh, Jamie Bell's first girlfriend early on in mm. a very small role in the film. Uh, yeah, and then um, the older uh, girlfriend that he meets later in the film is actually played by Sherry Appleby, who I didn't recognize at all, but who's been in a ton of stuff, including uh, Unreal, Chicago Fire, uh, Swim Fan, Havoc, uh, Charlie Wilson's War... I mean, she's one of those people when you see her now, you're like, oh, yeah, I've seen her and stuff, but oh, didn't recognize her at all as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought overall this was actually a pretty solid little yeah, southern gothic. It, it didn't bother me. <laughs> it's fucking dark. That's for sure. <laughs> but I like the way these characters are drawn out and the, the relationship between the brothers is really interesting. Mm. The whole aspect of the younger brother, you're constantly worried about him because he has some sort of dietary issue where he just yeah. never eats. Yeah, he's got celiac or something. Yeah, so know. you're like, okay, something's wrong with that kid. We don't know really what. But, you know, not the greatest scenario for two kids on the run across the Generally country. not. Yeah. And Josh Lucas is genuinely menacing as, as the uncle mm-hmm. character yeah. chasing them. So I actually give Undertow a pretty strong recommendation. Yeah, I'd tell people to I'd give it a watch. Uh, I can't tell people the same thing about Exposed. Yeah, you can. <laughs> what? Just because Keanu Reeves stars in it? Sort of. Why? Why, why would? Why would I recommend it? Go ahead. Uh, uh, the 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 protagonist lady is beautiful. Oh man, she <laughs> shits is and giggles. So gorgeous, Anna de Armas. Uh, who is a Cuban-Spanish actress, but she lives in L.A., so if you want to meet her, there she is. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. She was actually just in Knock Knock with Keanu Reeves. She was one of the two. I, I guess maybe she was one of the two girls in there. I'm not really sure. Uh, oh, that fucking movie. Yeah, uh, that no. movie that we did not go see. Yeah, she was she, she was one of the two girls who, who knock on his door and seduce him and then try to that, kill him. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which I'm still not going to watch it, despite the fact that Anna Armas is Yeah, no, sorry, no, no, no. I'll just watch movies with her. <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing about this movie. It was, like, totally re-edited by the studio. Mm-hmm. Because they were like, now, Keanu Reason, this is a... Actually, you've made him into a really minor character, and we're not going to sell this unless he's, like, the main character. So yeah. they re-edited the whole thing, like, apparently drastically, to the point where the director took his name off the film. That's where he was, And it got terrible reviews for the very reason. They're like, why is Keanu Reeves in this so much? It doesn't even make sense. His character doesn't have that much to do with the actual story. And, and aside from that, when, like, his scenes all feel like... Like they're being filmed inside a box. Yeah, totally do. <laughs> like box of Keanu. Uh, he plays a police detective that is trying to find out uh, why his partner got shot. His mm-hmm. partner was killed and uh, he wasn't there. And he's trying to figure out what exactly was going on. And it becomes clear that he was extremely corrupt, said partner. And uh, there's some weird connection to this young woman. You know, the, the aforementioned Anna de Omas playing Isabel. And her story is a thousand times more interesting yeah. and different than his, even though it comes to a sort of wah-wah, sort of <laughs> like, seriously, this is how you're going to wrap this up? Uh, I, I I don't want to say, but if you're going to go the direction they go with, oh, all that stuff actually meant this, I, I, that's not a great twist. It's kind of, a, almost kind of offensive to make that the twist. Yeah. But um, she's seeing 
angel slash alien like beings floating around everywhere. It starts with her seeing a guy. It's like this albino guy who's at the subway and he just walks out over the tracks and is floating in the air and then comes back. And then it continues as the movie goes on as she's seeing more and different types of these angels. Uh, and her story, basically her boyfriend is overseas in the military and she's living with his family mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, uh, and things go terribly wrong uh, the, in that scenario as well. And she ends up suddenly she becomes pregnant. There's no idea how, because she hasn't had sex with anybody, it's Jesus. but her, but her, uh, you know, boyfriend who's been gone for over a year and she's all like, it's a miracle. And everyone else is like, uh, uh bullshit. Know. Hey, bitch, we don't buy this. Yeah, exactly. But she's like, but I've been seeing angels everywhere. The, okay. It all makes yeah, sense. That's great. Yeah. Thursday actually, as it's playing out is not that. It, it, you were waiting for the movie to get back to her, usually. Mm-hmm. But even so, it doesn't play out in a way that's, like, that interesting at no, the end of it. It's not. I thought this was actually... I mean, I, I admit, like, we're watching a film that is a, a, a completely destroyed version of the director's original vision. Yeah. So who knows what the original if the original film was good or not. But this version... Not so good. Mm-mm. Even with the addition of Mira Sorvino and Big Daddy Kane. And Christopher McDonald. <laughs> and Christopher McDonald. Shooter motherfucking McGavin. Shooter McGavin, yep. <laughs> I can't reason. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> you eat? You eat? Like, yeah, I just said so. <laughs> uh, wait. Line? <laughs> Bring it together, Utah. Did you see they just announced that Bill and Ted is going to start shooting either God, at the I end hope of this so. year or next year? Early I next really year. Bill hope and Ted's so. 3, mind you, not a remake. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just want to be clear that's what I'm talking well, about. Well, remaking a Keanu Reeves movie would be real stupid. <laughs> yeah, what would happen? <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, next up, one you didn't get to see, and I'm sad you didn't get to see, because this was actually one of my favorite indie films uh, that, that we reviewed this week, called Tumble Down. This is uh, the rarest of the rare for me. It's a romantic drama with touches of comedy that actually I felt was super effective and really Hmm. well done, really well written. Uh, Basically, it follows Rebecca Hall, who is the widow of a... Elliot Smith level musician, you know, okay. one of those guys like that kind of sound who was like, you know, even with like Elliot Smith started in a punk band and then suddenly broke off and started doing just acoustic and his voice stuff. Yeah. Uh, and apparently made one amazing groundbreaking record like that, that everybody loved and then died in an accident. Oops, doodle. Uh, yeah. Unlike Elliot Smith didn't kill himself, but part of that's part of the like, What's going on in the drama in this film as a New York writer played by Jason Sudeikis comes out there because he wants to write a very literate book about this guy's life and his music. And she's like, fuck off, Parasite, (laughs) and has been trying to write a biography about him herself because she's still – she cannot – she she cannot fall out of love with him. She she's can't obsessed process with him. It. Yeah. She's, she, she can't process it at all. Like she is just – like, as far as she's concerned, he's still there pretty Grow much. Grow up, buttercup. <laughs> but as she starts realizing, trying to write this book, she's too close to it and can't. So ends up calling him back going, all right, fine. You come out here and, and instead of writing your book, if you will help basically write my book for me, I will pay you this much money to do it. Boom. And And so he's like living in there with her. And dealing with all the complications that comes from, like, this woman being so thoroughly broken by this whole scenario. And he coming into it with the aspect, because his father committed suicide when he was young, Mm -hmm. of just like, oh, no, of course this guy killed himself. They're just covering up for it. Like, he's coming into it with that sort of, like, 
not like punching out out front with it, but it comes clear to the viewer that this is what this guy actually believes. Okay. He's just looking to find out that that smoking gun, as it were, that He's proves to that it. this was the, in fact the case. And there's other things in here, like Joe M- Mangianello plays a, a local redneck who has been having occasional sex with Rebecca Hall. Hey, you know, he's happens. just this big dumb guy who went to high school with her. And then when uh, Jason Sudeikis comes over, he's all like, you know, pissing contest. Come on, bro. Yeah. That's my watering hole. <laughs> uh, Griffin Dunn is a friend of both of them who runs a uh, bookshop in the town. Blythe Danner plays her mom. It's – this movie never quite – even though Sudeikis is very funny in this. Okay. He's not goofy Sudeikis mo- movie funny. He's wise – you know, New York wise-ass writer funny, you know, uh, and – it, who she, which she desperately needs in her life, which is so... You're saying it's more like vacation, Sudeikis. No, I'm definitely not saying that. Uh, just watching their relationship play out, which ultimately this film is not romantic at all until close to the very end of it. It's more about dealing with grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is really charming. There's pretty damn good chemistry between the two leads and a super sharp script that made Tumble Down, I thought... One of the better indie films from 2015 that I saw. Well, then I'm going to shed a tear because I didn't get to see it. Well, don't shed a tear about not having seen Miss You Already. <laughs> okay, I won't. Even though it's not a terrible film, but it is one of those slew of new romantic cancer films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except this is not like romantic in the in like the sense of like, oh, a burgeoning romance between two people and one of them has cancer. It's more like... Uh, uh, like uh, what is the a female equivalent of like a bromance? Uh, I don't. Uh, she bromance. I don't know what that is, but that's I think that's just called being girlfriends. Yeah, maybe so. This feels like it should have. It they, they can actually be more open with each other about their feelings. <laughs> Basically, what you have here is Drew Barrymore and Tony Collette have been friends since they were little little girls, and now they're all grown up. Are they the same age? Uh, they're like about four years difference or something. Huh. Tony Collette always is one of those women who's looked a lot older than she is yeah, for a long yeah. time. I was actually surprised when I looked her up to see, oh, wow, she's actually not as old as I thought she was. She's only 43. Mm, Only. (laughs) Seriously, Joe? Seriously? And then, no, Drew Barrymore is 41, who's Mm. always had a baby face her whole life. Yeah, only. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so the film follows them having fun and living their lives, and and, uh, uh, Drew is... uh, I initially had a lot more time meeting men than Tony did, who's definitely one of those, like, the, the more extroverted of the two. And, in fact, she hooks up with uh, – um, what in the hell is his name? Dominic Cooper early on at, like, a, a, a rock and roll show. And okay. he gets her pregnant. And then, you know, you're expecting the movie for him to go, whatever, it's not my kid. And he's like, yay, I want a family. And she's like, I'm going to tumble down the stairs. <laughs> so they, they – you know, by the time the movie's proper narrative had started, they've had multiple kids. Okay. And have a moderately happy life together. Uh, but – and and Drew Barrymore is with – um. Uh, Patty Considine, who they want to have a kid, but they're having a lot of difficulty. Uh-oh. Uh, and unfortunately, she gets pregnant, finds out she's gotten pregnant at the exact same time that Tony come, gets diagnosed with a uh, really bad breast cancer. That's what she gets. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm sorry. <laughs> my inflection was all wrong. For what? That's what she gets. Yeah. I was going to say, what just <laughs> happened there? <laughs> this is vengeance. Fuck you for looking old your whole career. Yeah. Take that, <laughs> you female actress. Awards and such under your <laughs> belt. 
Uh, <laughs> I could have won those awards. And there's a there's a certain degree of like you know she's like oh I don't want to tell her I'm pregnant because she's got cancer and that's like gonna feel like it's an insult. You're like why? That, she's no, gonna notice anything that's gonna make her feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of about like. Tony's character, who ultimately is a super selfish person, okay. uh, discovering that, oh, shit, I'm not really the really nice person I thought I was. Uh, I've always kind of just manipulated everyone around me to do whatever I feel like doing. And her kind of acting just terribly once, you, you know, I have cancer. She's like one of those types, mm, you know. Nobody likes that person. You, you know, like I get to do whatever I want. And you're like, okay, well, I'm not totally disagreeing with you, but that doesn't change the fact that that kind of makes you, everyone around you, not want to be around you that yeah. much anymore. Uh and it's okay. I mean, like, the acting is really good. Of course it is. These are really good actors. But ultimately, you know exactly where this film is headed towards early on in it. The grave? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, it's not for me. Okay. Yeah, I don't miss it. Already? No, no already. I wow. already don't. I mean, I'm surprised I remember this much about it already. Uh, this is actually directed by Catherine Hardwick, which I certainly like better than her uh, film's the uh, the film, her adaptation of the first Twilight film, her Red Riding Hood movie, uh, but it's nowhere near as good as Lords of Dogtown or Thirteen. So what you gonna do? There you go. All right. So I know there's a lot of stuff you didn't. I've been going that you didn't get to see. Let's go back to some stuff you did get to see with Children of the Stars. Star, 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 uh, star, star. Nothing in this very low-budget documentary is particularly surprising Mm-mm. because people can believe some of the goofiest shit out here. I mean, honestly, these people are probably not that much weirder than Scientologists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, the movie uh, was, I, I, I think, fair, but it's all just so batshit bananas crazy that, that they still come off as a, a stinking of, of the cuckoos. Yeah, it follows this church called the Unarius Academy of Science, who are really into reincarnation and believe that there's, you know, the universe is populated with planets and Yeah, eternal people, recurrence. And that there is no, this is my favorite part, there's no such thing as imagination. It doesn't exist. What you're doing is remembering stuff that happened to you in a previous life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, they're, like, talking to this guy, oh, yeah, Star Wars, that's all totally real. Totally. It, this, yeah. this this movie was a, a, a checklist of uh, of wackadoo theories. So I was like, so when is Lumeria going to come? Oh, okay, there it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it was founded by this woman, Ruth Norman, who was formerly a real estate broker, who bought uh, a bunch of land in 1973 and dedicated it as a landing site for her, the Space Brothers, the visitors from another dimension who were going to show up at a number of constantly changing dates mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to lead humanity into a golden age. Uh, and, uh, they were actually refer to her as the Archangel Uriel. And there's a lot of their like art is all her various incarnations that she's listed. And an awful lot of which were from Atlantis. Just mm-hmm. saying. Well, she was also Charlemagne. So, you yeah. know, yeah, she was a uh, Buddha, Peter, the great and Quetzalcoatl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this film, while not terribly well edited, it I mean, it desperately needed someone from the outside to come yes. in and go, you guys need to lose at least 20, 30 minutes of this thing. And it's not that long to begin with. <laughs> uh, um, it has some really, oh, God, my, my God, you got to see this parts. One of my favorites is they got, they own a bunch of film equipment, so they were constantly filming their, you know, their fantasies 
Yeah. That yeah. they said were an imagination. So they're like, oh, we're recreating stuff that happened on other planets at other times, you know, because someone comes up with this idea. They're like, that really happened. We need to film it. And so there's like apparently hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage of these guys all getting dressed up in really goofy sci-fi outfits. Yeah. And, stuff. and apparently they got people that can uh, time lights really well. Because <laughs> there's, yeah. there's little beady lights everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of the Archangel Uriel. Who, the, the point they were filming a lot of this stuff was looked like she was already in her 60s. And by the time of filming, this has since died. Um, yeah. Even though the church goes on. Well, yeah. I think she just transformed. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she, she uh, elevated to the next level. That's right. This isn't even her final form. Um, no, not her ultimate form. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of hers with like little twinkling lights behind her and her wearing super outrageous like outfits that anybody who grew up watching Jim and the Holograms would be thrilled to own. Well, well, acting like Judy Tenuta. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and there's there's all these weird things as it goes along. Like there's one guy who joined the church who they decided who was like really like an asshole and nobody liked him. They decided, oh, you're you reincarnated from people like l- the devil. Yeah, you're you're stuff. an arch demon. You're you're an arch demon. You're like the nemesis of this cult. That and they decide that her whole Archangel Uriel's whole run through her whole career of a career her whole reincarnations has constantly to been to encounter him and give him another chance and help him towards the light yeah basically uh, lucifer he's lucifer slash snidely whiplash throughout history <laughs> pretty much <laughs> just the weird shit these people come up with and yes i'm laughing at them this movie isn't Mm-mm. at all in fact, it almost feels like it's be- taking this all really seriously, like 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 made by someone who supports the yeah. cult. <laughs> like, go on, go on. <laughs> but it, it and part of that is just because it's pretty poorly made overall. Yeah, you know? yeah. But it's you can't say it's not entertaining just to know these guys exist. I mean, at the very least, I'd say look it up online on YouTube and Wikipedia, and stuff. or go to El Cajon and, and go to go to the a actual little gathering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're still going, <laughs> but. I, I felt like what I got out of this ultimately watching it is like, there's nothing about this that's any goofier. Like when you can separate yourself from a lifetime of being exposed to it than any other religion on earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like this is takes just as much faith to believe in. And you look at these people, and they're relatively normal, very nice people. Most of them, you know, a little nearing middle age. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody's trying to figure out how to get along. They're very, very normal people, and who just believe in something super wacky. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, these are people you see it. At church on Sunday. Yeah, see him at Denny's. Yeah. Uh, I, I was like, okay. I, I felt like there's a much more interesting cut of this movie that's actually about, like, faith and how sometimes ultimately it is just kind of harmless, but you got to, like, you got a grain of salt at all. Yeah. They got their <laughs> permits for their parade. They're fine. Indeed. Uh, next up is A Brighter Summer Day. I'm going to admit right now, this four-hour Criterion film, I could not get through it. And nope. that's a first for me with Criterion. I thought, well, no, it's a second. The only other time was with Showa, but that's like nine hours. Mm. So I was like, yeah, okay, I, I need to own this because it's an important film, and I'll get back to it eventually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, I am I don't have this much time to watch this. A Brighter Summer Day is a... Uh, coming of age story uh 1991 taiwanese drama 
directed by Edward Yang that is a huge project for a Chinese language movie. Uh, for, you know, it's not normal. It's not the norm to have super long films like this. Yeah. To be sure. Uh, and also it used over a hundred amateur actors in various roles in here. Um, and I'm reading on Wikipedia. It says it got its idea for, for the title from the lyrics of Elvis's Are You Lonesome Tonight? Okay. Sure. <laughs> it was uh, selected as the Taiwanese entry for the best foreign language film at the 64th Academy Awards, but was not nominated. And ultimately, it's just watching these uh, boys, young boys, uh, I don't know how you say the main guy's name, played by Chang Chen. Uh, sir? Xiao Sir. Sir? Uh, I have no idea how that that doesn't translate very well into English, so I have no idea. Uh, Chang Chen himself, the boy, he's just a teenager, grew up to be in a fuck ton of other movies, uh, including uh, Zhang Ziyi's uh, um, uh, Rubber, the, the Lover in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and has been in a ton of other like recognizable films. He's like a pretty big actor in China right now. We'll um, know him. But he's really kind of the only guy who came out of this with any recognition <laughs> whatsoever. I mean, it's the, he plays the kid who's like, He's just going through a very normal teenage thing of like being tempted by acting out and testing boundaries and but four hours? Yeah. I can't even remember my teen years that for that long. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I think if I was to it wouldn't even take me four hours to write down what I remember, you know? Or say it out loud. Um yeah, apparently based on a real incident the director remembers from his school days when he was 13. Uh, the original Chinese title translates literally as The Murder Incident of the Boar Boy on Guling Street, uh, which refers to a 14-year-old son of a civil servant who murdered his girlfriend who was also involved with a teenage gang leader. I guess that's where this movie was going, but after... About two hours, I was like, okay, I'm done. Dunskies. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, this is, this film, nothing is happening in this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, Criterion. I tried. I really, really tried. But this one broke me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, I know that there are people who are like, you're crazy. This is great. Okay. Yeah. I'm willing to accept that I might be... Watch that shit 18 times in a row. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, and there's a brand new audio commentary from film critic Tony uh, Raines on disc one, disc two, because to just to have bonus features, they needed a second disc because the movie's <laughs> fucking four hours long. Like I said, there's a new interview with Chang Chen, who, like I said, is the lead star here and has gone on to do a bunch of other stuff. Um, there's an archival recording of a play co-written and directed by the director of this, Edward Yang. Uh, there's a documentary film uh, that takes a look at Taiwan after the Civil War there and the emergence in, uh, of the new Taiwan cinema movement. And then there's an illustrated leaflet with an essay by critic Jeffrey Cheshire uh, and a 1991 statement from Edward Yang about the film. So that's a thing that just happened. Yeah, so there you go. Watch it or don't. Uh, just, it's... it's uh, four hours. I mean, okay. Admittedly, I had no problem getting through the entire extended length of Red Cliffs, but yeah, yeah. But that's because people are dying by yeah. the hundreds in that there, movie. There's fun things to watch, there's like death, violence everywhere. All right, so uh, this next film, I have no idea how to ex- what to think. You might have thought of this. I don't know what your drug history is like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mine was filled with lots of doing LSD as a teenager. So when I saw 1967's, uh, the 1967 movie The Trip, this is actually the first time I've seen this. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. uh, even though I think it was not, it was pretty hard to find <laughs> before just recently. Um, uh, th- this Blu-ray release, I was like. 
wow, this is actually the closest I've ever seen to showing what it's actually like to take acid in any movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is from a near expert in the subject. <laughs> no, I, I, I came of a proper acid age uh, when, when, when I was uh, – during that time, there was an acid drought in, in Texas. So oh, yeah. I could yeah. not get it. Yeah, in so. the 90s, I remember people were saying, what? You can get acid? I'm like, yeah, back in Virginia, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, we were just like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I want to be self-discovery. It was going for like $20 a hit down yeah. there, where it was going for like $1.50 a hit in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I used to do drugs. I know, I'm a terrible person. Anyway, uh, Peter Fonda plays a television commercial director who uh, is is definitely sort of like tentatively dipping his feet into the burgeoning hippie movement going mm-hmm. on out in California. Uh, he's married to Susan Strasberg, one of those great actresses from the 60s and 70s who's largely been forgotten, and it's yep. a real shame. Uh, but she's she's only here, she's just kind of a small role, but because they're breaking up. But Yeah, she's a plot like, device. Ne- yeah, she's a plot device. Neither one of them seem to really want to break up, but at the same time... They don't really want to work to make it happen. Yeah, either. But uh, anyway, Peter Fonda hooks up with a guide played by Bruce Bruce Dern who's basically like hey man sit down in my awesome fucking like I mean awesome super house house like you know like where the pool runs into the house type places you know you're like damn this place is fucking I'd love damn, home. I'd the take acid again if I was at that place the river runs through it it does indeed uh, Ed's is like yeah don't worry I'm gonna guide you through every step of this and for a while that's exactly what's going on until uh, he takes sees his opportunity and bolts <laughs> <laughs> terrible idea for the record and goes out into the big city on the sunset strip wandering around in nightclubs and strangers homes <laughs> and, and all sorts of situations where it's amazing he survived uh and the thing about this movie is it doesn't really have a plot. Mm. It is really just trying to narratively detail what it's like to take acid for the first time. I, I liked the non-trippy parts, mm-hmm. and I hated the trippy parts because, you know, growing up amongst a bunch of either ex-burnouts or still burnouts, and mm-hmm. like, <laughs> freak out, man. <laughs> oh, I'm going to blow your mind. And it's like, no, you're not blowing my mind. You're really annoying me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, you know... I guess I appreciate it as an artifact mm. of the time. I, I enjoyed this a lot more than a lot of the other so-called psychedelic movies from the time that were mm-hmm. trying to go, like, isn't this trippy? I was like, okay, this is genuinely trippy, I Well, thought. I mean, there was actually a, a little bit of a story involved. Yeah, this is a tiny bit. Uh, like, uh, And uh, most of it is really his... Like, because we know just enough about what's going about in his life that seeing things that are happening in his hallucinations, uh, it's clear he's going through a lot of guilt and doubt and stuff and all the woman that we've seen in his life pop up a lot in his hallucinations and various different roles you're like so there's some amount of watching it in that context mm-hmm. uh some of the others watching familiar faces like dennis hopper yeah. who shows up as like a whoa man that's cool guy freedom rock yeah freedom rock <laughs> turn it up <laughs> um and uh i think overall this is not for most people but anybody who has any nostalgia, serious nostalgia for the 60s and the, and the hippie generation, yeah. this is uh, probably a defining film, like, document of that time and what people were thinking. Um, doesn't make it interesting in that level, but it's certainly a, like, just here's a picture of what people, you know, thought was cool yeah. at that time. And as well as, like I said, like, it's pretty close to what it's actually <laughs> like to trip really hard at least in terms of 
um, uh, Peter Fonda's performance, who's really going, clearly has taken a lot of acid for real, because <laughs> he knows exactly the way that people are responding when they're tripping really hard, when you're looking at them and, you know, from the other guy's point of view and the type of confusions that they have and that sort of stuff. Uh, Bruce Dern overall would be a great guide. I, I think it's worth watching just to see a young Bruce Dern. Yeah. I mean, honestly. Like, yeah. He's a groovy looking dude. And this is directed by Roger Corman, who apparently made a big deal famously about going and taking acid for the first time before he started making it just so he could have a context <laughs> for, for doing it. Uh, yeah. Um, Roger will do anything to sell a movie. <laughs> yeah, he, he really will. Of course, everybody was doing it at that point. So, But I, I ultimately, I actually really like the trip. It's just, it's such an, it's the nichiest film maybe ever made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not so niche unless maybe you, I don't know, had severe head trauma uh, and this is the movie for you is the remake of Point Break. Or you're following the, the eight-point uh, eight path or whatever the bullshit they came up with. I just – look, the original Point Break with Keanu Reeves and Gary Busey is a unexpectedly – unexpected pleasure but a guilty one. Well, I mean the, the, one of the most famous lines in the movie encapsulate – Perfectly, like young, dumb, and full of cum. Yeah, <laughs> that that is the original Point Break. Well, this new film, directed by Erickson Core, there's a name for you, is not is barely a remake of Point Break. Mm-hmm. It's more like I love extreme sports, and I'm going to film a lot of it. Could have just called it that. Yeah, and honestly, <laughs> the best part of this film are those extreme sports scenes. Some of them, you're like. Wow, that's pretty fucking cool. I'd never do that shit, but it mm-hmm. looks really neat as they do totally insane shit. Yep, like that's that, that wackadoo whole, shit. That, that, like when they wear the glider suits mm-hmm. and they're like gliding. Flying squirrels. Yeah, like they look like flying squirrels. That whole sequence is like, whoa, dude, that's really cool looking. Nothing else to recommend in this entire film. It's so weird because yeah. a lot of the shots look like they were green screened. Yeah, <laughs> a, a few the some of the surfing stuff was. Oh well, no, not, I'm not even talking about that. Like I'm talking about like even in in FBI headquarters. I'm just like oh. <laughs> this looks cheapish. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not. It, the whole budget was blown clearly on getting the like sky photography stuff. Well, well, certainly mostly. wasn't blown on the actors. Because this new guy they've got playing uh, Johnny Utah, Luke Bracey, makes Keanu Reeves look like he should be on Inside the Actors. Oh, super thespian. Um, Yeah, he is so bad. (laughs) Whereas they establish, I used to be an extreme sports megastar, and then my friend died during one, so I quit and for seven years studied law, and now I'm a member of the FBI. No, I think he did it in like three or something, remember? Because he started late. (laughs) He just looks like it it couldn't have been more than three years. Yeah. and then, of course, like his 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 boss is like, okay, well, we're there's these robbers who are like uh like robbing these places and like that supposedly can't be robbed, but they man they rob places that can be because they're all good clearly at extreme sports. So they like parachute, base jump out off the tops of towers of skyscrapers and stuff. Or they motorcycle there. out of it. Yeah, uh, who, are, who are you know the, the only, literally the only reference to the ex presidents in this whole fucking thing is like some some archival video you see of them like robbing a bank and yeah. then yeah that's about as far as we ever get into that. So he's like, okay, well we're gonna put you out into the world of these people and maybe you'll hear something about it. So he goes out to where people are surfing these giant waves and he meets up with Bodie, played originally by Patrick Swayze, now by the Edgar Ramirez, who has 
zero appeal. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to Patrick Swayze, who even now I'm like, I would totally hang out with that. Yeah, we, we we could drink, bro. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, you're just like right off the bat, oh, you are so irritating. You could be one of those guys. <laughs> one of those guys is going to immediately like lecture you about what you're eating. Oh, yeah, I was about to say like, <laughs> I see you are eating meat. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck off, bro. Yeah. Who, of course, he is in fact the leader of this group of other extreme sports guys who are all even more irritating than he is. <laughs> Um, and, uh, except here, you know, at least in the original, they're like, Hey man, we're, I, I love the idea that these guys are like, it's come on. It's, it's another extreme sport, robbing banks. That's right. Know? Here they felt the need to put this weird Robin hood type thing on and, it. And then the, and the, the like eco twists. Yeah. Like, like they're oh. like, Oh, well, which by the way, never connects nope. to the robberies at all. Mm-mm. They're like, Oh, well we're going through these, these things. This other great philosopher said there are eight things, massive extreme sport things you have to do. And then you'll reach enlightenment. It was just like, but he didn't even do it. So how the fuck does he know? <laughs> you know? And uh, so they're going through these and doing going to these ex- extreme places to do ex- these extreme, really dangerous, difficult, extreme sportsy things. But none of that has anything to do with these robberies that they're doing that, that also they do sometimes doing extreme sports at the same time. That uh, they give all the money back or they like, like they'll have open money up, bags up, open in midair and launch it over poor settlements or what have you. The, and, the thing that, that I hated even more that was unconnected was the fucking love interest. Oh, Samsara Dipshit or whatever her name yeah, was. Uh, yeah, Teresa Palmer, who I gen- genuinely really like. I'm always like, oh, it's Kristen Stewart with more talent. Mm. Um, here she, like in the original film, that character was like a much more integral part of the film yep. and the character's relationship here. She's really just a fuck buddy. Yeah. Yeah. That, no. that they, I fuck it. And then it dies. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, okay. That really has no emotional impact whatsoever in the length of this film. Uh, as well, Ray Winstone is playing the Gary Busey role. Barely in the movie, mm-hmm. their relationship is completely inconsequential. Which it was such a key part of the original film was that relationship between those two characters. Yep. Here, it's like, no, this director just wants to film people doing extreme sports. It, it was a very expensive monster commercial. It, it really was, and literally <laughs> a super bad one. Yep, uh, there's just so little to recommend here. Like, I can't even begin to. It may be worth watching just to see how bad the acting actually is. I would say it was worth making. Because it gave Delroy Lindo some work. Yeah, well, you know, and Ray Winstone, who we always like. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing that made me laugh out loud is that uh, Johnny Utah's character. All right, so I don't know if you've ever heard this. There's a, a, a relatively obscure conspiracy theory about the original mm-hmm. that it's actually all promotion for Mormonism. <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, yeah. It, like, there's all this stuff in there. Like, oh, yeah, it's totally the director is completely, like, obviously a secret Mormon. Obvi. Uh, and, you know, which is all, it's just, it's one of those, if you stare at anything long enough with a context, you're going to manage to make things fit mm-hmm. inside that context. Probably someone went, Johnny Utah, you say. Oh, uh, well, Bodie, that's like Morona. Here, there's a, there's a, uh, Early on in the film, like guys like Johnny Utah is like, well, actually, sir, Utah is just my nickname. My real name is Johnny Brigham. Mm. <laughs> it's like Johnny Brigham, like Brigham Young University. <laughs> it's like you guys are intentionally trying to play it. <laughs> now you're just fucking with us. Now, now you're just fucking with us. And I was like, that made me laugh out loud. But that was about it. Uh, so after that, we need to get that bad taste of, out of our mouth and go into something actually that was, in fact, really fucking great, and that is the Big Short, now out on Blu-ray. It's it's one of the best uh, high school educational films I've ever seen. <laughs> well, that's just what I think 
is so charming about this movie and kind of sets it apart from almost anything else that it is an educational film. It's just the most tasty spoonful of sugar to feed some really complicated shit that you pretty much need to know that happened recently and, and almost destroyed the American economy. And that we're all still paying for. Yeah, we're all still paying for, and it looks like they're setting up to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Because one guy got prosecuted out of all the scumbags mm-hmm. in American banks that like just went got off scot-free. One guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, where is it? Just, what was it? Just recently in, I think, Germany it was. They were like, yeah, we just prosecuted like 20 bankers for... Oh, Iceland. Iceland, Iceland, is, Iceland is yeah. Cleaning house. Uh, Big Short was nominated for five Academy Awards. Awards and unfortunately only one best adapted screenplay, but that was like a kind of a shoe in. That was like this mm-hmm. year it was like, yeah, it's there's no doubt that was gonna win best adapted screenplay because director, there you go, Adam McKay. Well director Adam McKay is more known for doing really goofy comedies with his buddy Will Farrell. <laughs> yeah, has fucking talented nights. Taken a really unexpected turn into still a kind of goofy comedy, but really mature one mm-hmm. with this. Where following these guys who are uh, people who are like hedge fund managers or want to be hedge fund people uh, who have figured out at various of them at different times that uh, the whole banking uh, housing bubble with loans going out to first time buyers and stuff is about to completely collapse in on itself. And that was one of the things like that was considered to be at that period of time. Like, no, that, that is like the safest investment. Literally safe as houses. So literally as safe as houses. Uh, cause that was always a thing that had been safe to invest in real estate. Uh, and he discovers a uh, Christian Bale starting off here, uh, as a kind of, Neurotic, not even neurotic. What's the word? Like twitchy. Uh, uh, definitely autistic. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, he, uh, hedge fund manager. He's the one who first kind of figures this out and um, uh, like starts convincing other people along the way, including Steve Carell, who I'd say if there's one guy you'd pick as the main star of this film, it's probably him. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it was Gosling, really. Gosling is definitely serves at points as a narrator, which puts him up there as well, but he's just not in it as much as Corell mm-hmm. is. Uh, Brad Pitt is one of the guys in here. John Magaro. Uh, Finn Whitrock, one of those actors with a really terrible name who you'll be seeing a lot more Whip of. Whip Slipdash. <laughs> uh, uh, Hamish Linklater. Um, it's weird that this works as well as it does because describing it sounds really dull but i can't emphasize enough how fun this movie is to watch and i think one of the most helpful things is one of the things i did not like about it Uh oh here's this like a pop star of some caliber explaining to you dumb dumbs what this shit means see i enjoyed that but in in the way that I was like, honestly, I don't understand what's going on right oh, now. I and, I, and I'd be like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And it was always at those moments that they'd go, all right, here you go, stupid. And here's <laughs> here, we're going to make it funny while, and have visual graphics on the screen so we can spell it out for you. Yeah, was- and I was like... I think most people actually needed that to get through this. I think it's a cheap trick, but in this particular purview, it was kind of necessary. Well, yeah, well, I mean, because this movie, I, I think, is a get mad movie, and honestly, 
you know, no, normally I don't really give a shit about Get Mad movies, mm-hmm. but something as important as the world fucking economy, yes, get mad. Yeah, and the thing <laughs> get is, very mad. almost no one understands what happened. Mm-hmm. Almost no one. And it's, I think that's one of the greatest things about this film is that so many people have seen it now, so so many people have a much better grasp, because as the film insinuates towards the end, guess what's just starting up again? This same fucking bullshit, just with a different name. Yeah, well, I, I used to work for a big bank, and I knew they were doing mean shit. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing I can do. I was just a, a regular old banker. <laughs> it's just like, I got to get out of this because I can't be a part of it anymore. I, I have to go to Bank of America once a month to pay my rent. I mm-hmm. have to do a whole thing where I have to deposit, take advance from my, my bank, which is a credit union, and put it into my landlord's bank. And the one of the bankers asked, the tellers asked me this time as I'm doing this, she's like, why don't you just get a Bank of America account? And I was like, have you seen the big short? <laughs> and she didn't say anything. But, okay, I was like, moving on. I was like, uh, no and never. Thank you very much. And fuck off. I'm only here because I have to be. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of extras on here. Uh, there's a 15 minute piece called In the Trenches casting that looks through the characters and uh, all the different actors in here. There's a piece where you take a look at the, basically the, the crew talking about how great they loved Adam McCain here. There's a thing about uh, the, the characters and their roles in shaping and advancing the story. There's a, a probably most essentially like a 14 minute actual like recap on, okay, so wait, what was the, how did the, the housing bubble thing work again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so you don't have to watch the whole movie again. You can just get to the essential stuff there. Um, <clears throat> there is a uh, technical insight into the shoot uh, piece. And then there's a bunch of deleted scenes. It's good stuff. Uh, next up is great stuff. The, the really okay, the Hunger Games Mockingjay J Part Two. Just kidding, it's fucking awful. Did, really? Did you not like that? I was no. just, I was kind of excited that you were this thrilled about it. No, it was horrible. See, I actually enjoyed this whole series except Mockingjay Part One, which I thought was really bad. I thought the I thought both of the Mockingjays. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of like, nah, you really should have kept that one movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's. Certainly no – yeah, there's no reason this should have been split to two movies mm-hmm. because it – the stuff that's the worst things about the book Mockingjay are so stretched out in the first movie that you just want Katrina to die. You know, or Katniss, not Katrina. Sorry. Yeah. No, Katrina in the waves. <laughs> I'm walking on sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Katniss is back and she's all like, I got to arrow stuff. And then they're like, you're our pawn, Katniss. And then uh, the bad guys are like, I got to keep power because I know what's really going on better. And then the, but there's scheming going on. I want you to describe every movie ever made now. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. Um, yeah, like, obviously you're not going to start the series with this film, and if you do, what the hell's wrong with you? Fuck it. Go for it. Just be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you have no idea what's going on if you start with this film. Uh, well, and it's basically the plot to kill President Snow, specifically, to assassinate him, because it's gotten to the point where they're like, okay, we've taken down all the stuff outside the capital city now. We've so- that's all that's left. All that's left is Capital City. They've they've retreated back into there, and uh, and it introduces kind of a second villain, really here, or not introduces, but establishes that Julianne Moore, who is the head of the revolution, is also kind of a terrible person. Yeah, badness ever evil. And it's this movie's more than anything about Katniss sort of coming to terms with like. Not that branding isn't a good thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this the the it, the entire series, but this especially hits you over the head with like, huh, huh, propaganda. Am I right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, completely is is about that. And 
I hope 13-year-olds are listening (laughs) because propaganda, no matter who it's coming from, even if it's somebody that you uh, really support, if you're feeling the burn or whatever it is, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you need to look at it with a a critical eye. Critical doesn't mean – But all we're saying is don't be one of them. Be one of us. (laughs) Yes, unless it's one of us, in which case we are on your side. And and we're looking out for your best interest. You know you can trust what's going on at one of us. Period. Uh, I don't know. I personally enjoyed this. It is the last time we're ever going to see Philip Seymour Hoffman do anything new. Yeah. Yeah. Which they pre-filmed his footage in here. Who's not in it a lot, but he's in it enough. I was surprised they had that much footage. I'm going to look and nod and not actually say anything. (laughs) There's a certain amount of him just like, yeah, into the camera here. Uh, I don't know. I actually thought this was a lot of fun. I, I did. I certainly didn't think it was as strong as the second film which is the best of the whole series you know i, I really came into to the hunger games not wanting to like it just because i'd heard it was a uh a, a battle royale ripoff and the first one definitely is mm-hmm. uh but there there was something i, I actually kind of grew to like about it uh and and boy mocking jays just fucking just like okay just just think about the first two movies this shit don't even worry well, about I, that i think that like obviously the political undertones are are there all throughout the series mm-hmm. uh the mocking jay is entirely about those the the politics yeah. like and i even though there's you know i mean not which isn't to say they're just sitting around talking about politics it's it's not dry or anything it's just so fervently earnest you know well, that that's going to get on some people's nerves. I mean, I think uh, the the most appealing thing for the entire series for me is is Donald Sutherland, uh, and I wish they just made him more nuanced than he was. I wish it turned out he was possessed by a alien the whole or he time. was her father. Yeah, her alien father. That would have been pretty cool. I would have been totally into that. Uh, Hunger Games. The end of the series, <laughs> now they're already talking about a prequel, oh, um, is, comes with the audio commentary by the director and producer, comes with the making of the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2, which is eight different featurettes and runs on for two and a half hours. Murph. So if you love this movie, boy, you're getting your money's worth with this. There's a photographic journey with there where they take a look at a bunch of production skills. There's a sketchbook uh, that go that takes a look at the uh, Mockingjay armor, which is indeed pretty cool cool looking um there is a promotional piece uh, looking at basically memorabilia and interactive displays from the franchise and then there is a episode of the series jet to the set that visits sets of movies and interviews actors it's actually a pretty solid amount of bonus features for, for you're getting release. chock full of it okay so this is totally on me my bad completely forgot uh to review a movie this week and added to talking with joe about it for uh the force awakens um, yeah, they did. In fact, not, they didn't send me the Blu-ray. Of course they sent me the, uh, digital copy, which I'm just fine with because honestly, now, nowadays the digital copies, they pretty much have all the bonus features that the, the, the full edition does. The only downside is, and maybe if somebody knows, they can tell me, I couldn't figure out any easy way to just go to the bonus features or watch them at will. You pretty much have to fast forward through the whole movie and then fast forward through bonus features to get to the one you want to actually watch them, which seems like a very, I mean, why there aren't chapter stops on digital copies? I'm still not sure. Maybe it's a part of the technology. They still haven't quite worked out yet. But regardless, The Force Awakens, okay, well, you can obviously go onto the site and listen to our full, very long uh, review for the film where we all chimed in how we felt about it. But as far as uh, the Blu-ray slash digital copy goes, man, it looks 
and sounds great. And I want to double down on my initial review for this movie and say, I, I think I'd like give it even a slightly higher rating watching it for the second time. Yes. I never did manage to go back to the theater and see it um, uh, a second time in the theater. Cause I'm lame, but uh, my second time watching it on my television, uh, I just, I guess all the tension that was in me about, Oh God, please don't be bad. Had just kind of already drained out and I could just enjoy it. And wow, I enjoyed it that much more. I think this is a genuinely fun film uh, that I recommend that if you went, it felt a bit tentative about it the first time you liked it, but weren't sure, go ahead and, and rent it, watch it a second time or buy it through our friendly link. Give it another try. Cause wow. I, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And they, like I said, don't short on the extras. There's, uh, a, a hour and 14 minutes or hour and nine minute a secret of the force awakens a cinematic journey that's div divided up into four chapters that while they're not going to i mean i've watched every inch of this for it and scanned other people's reviews there are no spoilers for anything to come as near as i can tell so if you're watching it just for that that's not going to be there but it really does show like the degree to which they were really using practical effects on this thing the um fun they were having making it the sense of awe people felt especially surrounding the scenes with the millennium falcon where some of the actors were practically and were in fact crying the moment they stepped foot on the thing but that's not all it's on here. There's also a, it says the story awakens the table read. It kind of would have been cool to have the whole movie as the table read, but I get that they don't. It's really just a, a four minute featurette about the first table read they did, which is kind of cool. There's a crafting creatures, which looks at the, uh, the practical works on the film, including Chewbacca and how like they were lucky enough to still have an existing original mask. So they could just flat out copy that thing. Um, there's a whole, piece about bb-8 of course which is really neat all the different types of thing models they had to have that would do different specific things so they could get all the types of motion they wanted to out of it uh blueprint of a battle the snow uh the snow fight which uh really shows how cool that that you know three-way lightsaber fight was towards the end there and the fact that whole thing was on a set did not realize that there's ilm the visual magic of the force which uh goes through how the digital effects kind of add on to the practical effects they did there, which is for my money, the, the best way to use digital effects is just as a touch up to practical. There's a piece on John Williams, of course, as you, you know, as you've got to do still like, honestly, sometimes I think half of the reason Spielberg and Lucas's films have been as successful as they were was for, because of their partnership with John Williams, who just knew exactly how to get audiences moving like in their hearts, uh, in the appropriate way for said films. There's a bunch of deleted scenes, nothing that's essential mind you, but some of it is, is kind of cool. There's one bit in there. I'm not even sure where it was supposed to fit in. That was supposed to be a funny Han Solo bit. And it's always cool to see him doing something else since they'll, we will probably prequels or, you know, or, or, you know, like the rogue one takes place before everything. We're probably never going to get another film featuring Harrison Ford in star Wars. I'm sorry. If it was going to happen, they would have already announced it. It ain't ever going to happen uh, unless they do another Christmas special. Uh, <laughs> but there's a little bit with him doing something you didn't see in the movie. Uh, and then there's a thing about force for change, which is a charity that's associated with the film and star Wars. Now altogether, this is just absolutely a great set and I am definitely going to give it the pick of the week status because it deserves it. Dun, 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 dun. Dun. Sorry. Sorry. I'm getting all emotional. Anyway, uh, let's go back to the regular scheduled program. Well, we've reached the end of this week's digital noise, which brings us to 
the giveaway.com. Not available in all areas? <laughs> no. Only available in the United States, I'm afraid. And this week it is Monster Dog. Yeah. You know what's cool about Monster Dog? That I haven't, that I haven't seen it? Well, you haven't seen it. It is the only movie which Alice Cooper plays a major character in. Oh, nice. And that's also one of the worst things about oh, it. Nice. <laughs> this is by the same director and writer of Troll 2, Claudio Fragasso. And admittedly, next to Troll 2, this is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, in terms of, like, you know, making a, pro- a a film that you could consider to actually be a film. Mm-hmm. However, Troll 2 is about a billion times more watchable just because it's just that unbelievable level of bad. Which, mind you, Monster Dog is also pretty unbelievably bad. Okay. But in also a kind of glorious sort of way. Uh, the story here has Vince Raven... Yes, that's yeah. Alice Cooper, uh, who's a uh, goth rock musician. Yeah, he is. Big stretch for mm-hmm. him. In the beginning, play, performing a music video for a song I hope he did not write called Identity Crisis, where he's like, I'm James Bond, I'm a cowboy, I'm a spaceman, all this, like, wearing a bunch of outfits. Mm-hmm, it's really mm-hmm, bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so they're like, oh, we're going to f- shoot another music video. And so he and his girlfriend, Sandra, and his film crew, they all drive out to his childhood home in the middle of fucking nowhere. Mm-hmm. Looks looks like the Moors of England, but he's clearly not English. So I don't know where the fuck they are. Uh-oh. Uh, to his childhood home to shoot a music video. But right off the bat, it's clear nobody wants him there. They don't like Vince. They don't want him there at all. And there's something which a b- bunch of dogs, ra- roving packs of wild dogs, are killing people. In fact, they kill the sheriff and his deputy, like, almost immediately at the beginning of this. <laughs> guys. Film. Yeah, I know, right? You're like, guys, come on. Salisbury is not going to be happy with you. Uh, but then it's revealed that those aren't all. They're all controlled by this giant monster dog. Shit. Who uh, everyone in the town believes is actually Vince. That, that because they believe his father was a, was a monster dog, monster dog <laughs> thing, and that Vince must be too, because now the killings have begun right around the same yeah. time Vince returns to town. I was really hoping this was about an epic hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that movie, especially right now. I'm kind of hungry. Um, so there's... Lots of really goofy sequences where dogs are supposed to be killing people, but clearly they're just having fun. Okay. <laughs> you know, woohoo! They're like, <laughs> let's play! Uh, and then a outrageously awful, like, practical monster dog mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. so funny, I wish there was more of it. I'm just sad that there wasn't more of it in this film. No. And Alice Cooper singing a bunch of songs that I'm pretty sure are not Alice Cooper songs that are <laughs> super bad. Um, this is kind of, it, it's kind of legendary. It's one mm-hmm. of those films for the longest time has always been listed as, like, one of the worst movies ever made. And yeah, it is. <laughs> Fairly uh, so. But it's so watchable. <laughs> it is it is indeed a lot of fun to oh, get they're there. they're cute. They're cute little babies. And there's even some special features on here. Uh, there's a 43-minute 40, Lord of the Dogs where they sit down with the director, Claudio Fergasso, who's never had any fear of talking about his terrible movies he's made in his career. And the screenwriter, Rosella Drudy, where they talk about uh, what a great movie Monster Dog is. Uh, and then there's some deleted scenes, like thir- 14 minutes of that, and then a bunch of publicity stills. Uh, this is one of those films you won't believe exists. Mm-hmm. When you see it, you'll be like, holy shit, it is definitely one to sit your friends down. Yeah, I was going to say, this beer. is a drinking movie. Oh, yeah. I, I would not recommend watching it any other way. <laughs> uh, but Monster Dog is our giveaway this week, and why don't you tell us how you can win? Fellas, I want you to make the best black exploitation movie title you can. 
Okay, that's, that's pretty what good. I want. Yeah, uh, no N word. Yeah, yeah, no, no Quentin Tarantino black exploitation. <laughs> Don't use the N word. Other than that, we're pretty good. Uh, do that. Go to uh, Twitter, our Twitter account, which is at one of us net, and uh, yeah, basically send it towards us at one of us net with the hashtag uh, um, M Dog Giveaway, and then write your entry, and I'll pick the best one. And you'll get sent this Blu-ray copy of Monster Dog, which I'm sure will be the greatest treasure you will ever own. And I will read it off the air. <laughs> you'll, so uh, with what I said earlier about like any like movie, like like you could do a great description like that in mm-hmm. any movie, I want to hear you do The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens? Okay. Let's see. Oh, my God. Luke Skywalker. I can know anybody. That's not Luke Skywalker. That's just some girl in the desert. What's she doing with that robot? That's not even her fucking robot. Who's this guy? Is he, like, good or bad? And they're saying that dude's gay. I don't see it at all. Anyway, this guy's got hurt feelings. But you know what? She never really finished Jedi Dre because he's a goddamn dropout. And in the end, he's not that good. Okay, fair enough. Oh, yeah. And, oh, look, it's on Solo. Oh, shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for joining me, Joe. I'll be, well, Digital Noise will be back again in another probably two weeks, I think, uh, with me and Richard to review another stack of movies. And until then, no, I'm not even going to say it anymore. Just, no. you know what? Fucking watch some movies, all right? Yeah, come on, guys. Watch the movies because we watch the movies, too, and we tell you which movies to watch. And then when you don't watch them, you're like, why did I watch that? That's better. Yeah. I like that.